Hello, everyone tuning in. It's a fabulous Wednesday coming live all the way from DC. And I've got a fabulous guest today, Melanie, coming live all the way from Canada. Welcome, Melanie. Hi, Mila. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So this show is Rethink Culture, a narrative. Today we're going to be exploring the common narrative that has been recurring in the workplace even in communities where women of colour belong, a narrative that POC women often hear. But you are so good at what you do, you swear you want to apply for that promotion. That is the narrative that POC women often hear. Right, and today I'm going to be speaking with Melanie about our experiences and how we have and had to create our own parts to stand out. When we talk about diversity at the workplace, we have to hear voices and understand the invisible occurrences, right? Diversity is an integral part of our organization. Culture is more than just ping pong tables and free lunches. We have to rethink culture through hardship. It's time to wake up with whatever is going on in our society, right? With all the riots, everything is a mirror effect whatever happens at the workplace happens at home whatever happens at home happens in schools whatever happens in schools happens in our neighborhood and at a larger scale in political systems so to start off tell us a little bit about what you do melanie and your journey to climbing the corporate ladder all right so thanks mila so uh just a little bit about myself so i have been on the digital media side a broadcast for the past 15 years. And I have always said that I wanted to be viewed as a leader in the industry. And I did what I thought I needed to do. I made sure that I was uh, going above and beyond at the workplace, that I was staying up to date with everything uh, with digital media, but also in, uh, in, in IT and in tech. And I always made sure that my credentials and my diplomas and uh, my certification was always up to date. And I would be given uh, a few opportunities for some management roles, uh, but nothing permanent. But I still felt like I was doing a good job because I would be given uh, bigger projects, bigger clients to work on. Uh, I would be uh, uh, responsible for the onboarding of new hires, but I just couldn't really climb up that ladder. Mm -hmm. And when I took a step back, I had to realize that what I was doing, even though that felt like I was doing all the right things, it wasn't working for me. So I decided to really step back and uh, do some research. I read books, I listened to podcasts, I really seeked out uh, mentorship from uh, women, but also women of color. And what I came to realize is that if I was going to depend on my, uh, my corporation to promote me into uh, a leadership position, to give me that authority, um, I probably would be waiting a long time. So I decided to just promote myself. And, by, uh, and what I did was that I started to really just become my own PR rep and started to voice not just in my company, but also to the 
uh, the tech industry in, uh, I'm from Toronto, Canada. So the tech industry in Toronto, I started just voicing my opinion, sharing my knowledge, sharing my values, my vision, like, you know, my leadership styles, what I thought about mentorship. And what I found was that um, I really found a community there. And I realized that I didn't really have to be so dependent on my workforce to give me that authority. So I took that power into my own hands. And I really feel that now my voice is, uh, my voice is being heard. And what I'm saying is, uh, is it, it counts now. Mm-hmm. If I didn't take that journey like independently on my own, I don't think that uh, I would be where I am today. Right. And and your story itself unravels so many gaps in the system, right? It, it's just not you and I experiencing this. So many women of colour, people of colour experiencing it, right? And I want to highlight something that you mentioned. If you had not taken your own actions you will not be where you are today right but why is it that women of color or people of color have got to work 200 times more than people who do have the privilege right and those are the questions that we need to start asking even at the workplace and like there's so many narratives going on on LinkedIn right now in very much aligned with what is going on in our country, right? In the US, all the riots and Black Lives Matter. But people don't understand racism is a systemic systemic behavior occurrence. It's so written, it's so embedded in the system to a point that it transfers to every colored person at the workplace because culture is mirrored, created and recreated every facet, right? So that's that's why we need to start asking those questions as, as to why is it that I have got to take action 200 times more than someone from a privileged stance? And, and my experiences were the same as yours as well. Right, and it's it's like for years I have been in in the realm of of education technology. My background is in chemical engineering and culture science and human science. Twenty years I've been immersed and researching and doing work, but for twenty years it took me such a long time and hardship to get to get to be seen, to be known, right? My voice was kind of like oppressed and just like put down. And I want to unravel that. Like, let's let's truly unravel the why. Why are women of color or people of color not given the same opportunities, the same resources? Why are POCs looked as subhumans? I want to hear your thoughts on this. I, I really think, and granted, this is probably just a sliver of the pie because it goes back, uh, like, you know, as, as you said, it impacts not just the workforce, but the school and our upbringing. But when it comes to leadership, and I'm just going to focus on that for a bit, is that leadership in tech, in the tech industry, but also in any industry, um, it was, it's, it's working exactly as intended. But it wasn't intended to really work for us. 
And I'm not saying that that isn't something that can be like, you know, I'm not saying that it's, it's impossible. There are very yeah. many uh, successful uh, uh, POCs in leadership roles, but not as much as there should be for us to stand back and say, okay, this is equality. They're no longer being judged on the color of their skin. But the, the tech industry, like, you know, it was created by men and the way they network and the way they lead was created for them. So it's working as intended. And I have even recently been told that if I wanted to be in the position of leadership, that I should watch how I walk talking about it. And with, and with that, like, you know, I was upset at first, but then I realized that those are the objectives of like, you know, uh, each independent companies and, and organizations, yeah. but it's up to me to decide if I want to walk, talk and act in that type of leadership style and realizing that that doesn't really fit my own values and my vision. So uh, being okay with that, but also trying to, try my best to not circle the square mm -hmm. and, and just really let's just make our own table. Let's just right. really help rise. Uh, let's rise about the volume of, uh, of the minorities and the, the people uh, that have less privileges and really build a new table that will include us and them and the LGBTQ community, like everyone, and really give everyone a place at the table uh, to be heard and give them a choice to participate if they want mm -hmm. to participate. I love what you just mentioned um, about creating these opportunities, but I want you to take a few steps back and, and acknowledge what you mentioned. Leadership, right? the, the whole frame of leadership has been created. The paradigm of leadership has been created according to different companies like years ago, right? Like it, 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 as far as 100 years ago during four times, right? Henry four times. Mm -hmm. And it has, it has been created to, to a point that it enables privileged people, but it does not support other minorities, right? Then we need to re-ask. And it wasn't built to. No, no. But now we are here in 2020, mm -hmm. right? And I recently put a survey out on LinkedIn about, you know, when when change is brought to your attention, like really visible change needs to happen, will you adopt the change to happen in the now? within the year or will you put it on the back burner and say it's for the future or will you wait until people start leaving and then take that action to make change i was a little bit disappointed to see five percent people responded that they'll push it to the future and then uh, another percentage uh, even though it's a minute percentage they said they'll wait for people to leave and then take action that itself, even though the percentage is small, it speaks to how leaders are thinking in the now in 2020, right? We need to eradicate, we need to shift that whole narrative of the future of work, the future of diversity, the future of leadership to the now of leadership, the now of workplace, the now of how we can build systems to enable our people, regardless of age, gender, ethnicity, 
nationality, accent. Like so many times I have experienced people saying, oh, Mila, you've got an accent. Mila, you don't speak English. What the bloody hell am I speaking in? Gibberish? <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, it's like those narratives are aggressions. I'm not going to call it microaggressions, but for awareness sake, for awareness sake, I'm going to say these are aggressions that can come off as a joke to other people or or as unconscious bias or even conscious bias that turns into conscious discrimination, right? Mm -hmm. No, exactly. And I really think that it is when um, when you put out that survey, if they're going to make the change now, if they're going to do it later. Again, we're all taking these steps back. It mm -hmm. is okay, like you know, putting the systems in place in order to uh, grow leaders or like support them. So when people are coming into like you know new grads, people who are graduating. Uh, knowing that they have a place at this table and that, that their leadership is going to be uh, like cultivated and grown, uh, starting it from that level so that when they do reach that part of their career, that they're able to step into the, those roles, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and it's interesting. Like I remember being like, you know, applying for jobs and, uh, and it was, you know, for a uh, a people people manager role. Mm -hmm. Granted, I I never had an official like you know uh, like you know official title as a people manager, but I did have interim positions like over a year and a half where people did report up to me because I was either covering a mat leave or someone left on the like you know someone left uh, the company, so I was I, I needed to take over that role, and. Even when I spoke to that experience, okay, I may have not been an official leader, but like, you know, I do have these, this year and a half experience. They, they throw back at me saying, well, we don't know what type of leadership training you've gotten. And I found that question kind of taken aback because first of all, I, I do self-educate and then that is apparent in my resume and my LinkedIn and just in my posts. But also I was like, would you be asking anyone else that question? Right. And and um and yeah, I I, I felt like that was a question reserved for for me. And that, that that's a form of microaggression. That's a form of discrimination that a lot of people kind of sweep it under the rug as it as oh we didn't know about it right and or unconscious bias but i want to highlight this these are not unconscious biases these are real conversations these are real narratives being posed onto women of color right or pocs or or anyone who is a minority who can fall under disability or ageism right that's ageism as well but even from my experience i have encountered that saying Oh, you don't have the right kind of leadership experience. But leadership is not a singular lens. It's not a singular narrative, right? From a culture perspective, right? From a culture science perspective, when we truly want to look at leadership, there's so many different types of leadership, right? From egalitarian to individualistic cultures to collaborative cultures to situational leadership, right? And 
oftentimes a lot of people, especially organizations, kind of like blur the lines or don't really understand how can leadership look like in the military? How can leadership look like at homes? How can leadership look like in religious congregations? How can leadership look like in tribes? I spent years traveling different parts of the world, immersing myself in different cultures in tribes and observing how tribal masters, tribal leaders lead their tribe, right? From Indonesia to Malaysia to, to Thailand, there are so many different tribes existing in different parts of the world. And their way of leading is not through barking, it's not through leader whip, right? Yeah. You didn't carry a whip. Yeah. I just coined that. I love myself <laughs> coining that. Right? It's not leader whip. Yeah. It's not leadership, it's hardship. One thing that I truly observed is they truly accept everyone as whom they are. They listen to that person as to whom they are. They identify how someone wants to be accepted, how someone wants to show up with their strengths, even if they are not ready yet. Those leaders bring them up. They enable, they create an environment of thrive regardless of how you look like. And that is what is missing in the United States or even in a lot of environments that we say or coin the term, this is how leadership should look like. This is how culture should look like. And we exploit the term culture and leadership with so many buzzwords. And I want to say, let's stop the bloody BS, right? Let's stop the bloody BS and let's really rethink how leadership can look like right? Someone who is an Asian from Morocco, who is a female, a software developer, can speak differently, can mm -hmm. lead differently, right? And that's the kind of concepts that we need to start adopting. I, I yeah. experienced and it, it really comes to the point where when we're getting questions about our leadership, our leadership style, um, I felt like it was more of a statement. It wasn't a question. Right. It was, well, if you're wondering about my leadership style, ask me. I will tell you. Mm -hmm. and what you described is actually very, um, very. It is my leadership style. When you're talking about the the tribes, uh, it, it it really is setting everyone up for success. Right. And uh, the uh, and that falls into. Um, uh, servant leadership, which mm -hmm. uh, for my day job, I'm an agile project manager. So that is like, you know, part of our job description, but I see it work so well on small projects that I really believe that when it comes to bigger departments and corporations, if you set everyone up, uh, set everyone up for success, letting them know that they physically have uh, a voice at the table and like, you know, a place at the table that, uh, that they'll be heard. Right. And yeah, so it, it, it's something that uh, I am, uh, I'm, I'm very curious of what is like, you know, everything that's going on right. uh, in the world. Uh, but I really love the fact that uh, black people and people of color, their voice is being uh, rise to the top and we really can't stop this momentum. Mm -hmm. uh, focusing on, on black leaders and black people in tech and just giving them uh, a bigger microphone in any way that we can help. That is 
uh, that is my priority right now. Right. Yeah. And it's imperative to give the microphone to hear those voices. And, and, and you mentioned, you know, like bringing voices to the table. I want to add one more layer to that. Why not expand the table into an open field, an open space, right? Because a lot of people say, oh, you have to fight to come to the table, have a seat at the table. You have to be invited to the table. I think we it is time right now to really rethink culture, yep. to really rethink how we approach it, that language, that narrative as well. Around a table, how many seats are there? 12 seats, 18 seats? In a boardroom, how many seats are there? Four, five, six, ten? Mm -hmm. Whom are we inviting? When we have board members, when we have leadership around the table, who are the voices that are, which voices are not here? So why not create, expand that table into an open space and say, hey, I want you over here. I want you to represent the space. As leaders, we should also take ownership of, yes, I do not understand the struggles. I want to understand the struggles and I want to create spaces for people of color, for minority groups to come and walk the journey along with me. Uh -huh. It's not about, I am seeing from a bird's eye view. It, we can stand on top of a building and look at things from a bird's eye view without truly understanding the struggle when we're not walking in the shoes of others. But I want to touch on this point as, you know, you have experienced this in your career. I've experienced this for 20 years in my career. No matter what I do, yes, I'm good at my job, but I know I am great at being a leader as well, right? Because again, like we touched on leadership is not singular, it's so nuanced. But both of us as Asians, we have experienced the narrative of you're not ready yet. Hmm. Or why aren't you happy with the position? That you have? Yes. Um, it is, and it's, it's really, it has been taboo for women to uh, even talk about their their ambition to make more money mm -hmm. or to, to get to the C-suite. Um, especially, especially uh, though, like, you know, women who are uh, also mothers, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, splitting that, that, uh, that responsibility and that divide. Um, yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. that's such a divide in in this system at the workplace. And we need to wake up. As leaders, we need to wake up. And I want to tell all leaders, a leader should become a follower. A follower can become a leader. There's a misconception of you're not you're not a leader. You're not born to be a leader. There's a leader in every one of us. Right. That's what I believe. If people don't believe, that's fine. But I want you, I want viewers, listeners out there to rethink what leadership can become, right? The whole narrative of you're not ready yet mm -hmm. is a form of microaggression. It's a form of discrimination. Because when, even if you're a manager, you know, what prompts you to say that you're not, you're not ready yet? You need to rethink as to what makes you come to that judgment. Are you coming to a judgment or are you coming to an evaluation?
and what because judgment and evaluation are two separate things yeah and then also, yeah but also like you know when you hear that feedback of you're not ready yet that really feeds into like you know we, we all we also talk about imposter syndrome right. right and that feeds into you're like oh okay maybe i'm not ready yet and it really minimizes all of the work that uh, you put into your career and makes you doubt yourself it makes you doubt your your authority and your and your and your values when someone from the outside in that position like you know says you're not ready mm -hmm. uh, but really what exactly what qualms people as 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 ready mm -hmm. and when you're talking about like you know the change in leadership and this is something that i am seeing at a lot of um a women in technology or women of color events where we go to these events and we are talking about um, uh, like, you know, the, the, the issues that we're facing and we can tell that the audience is relating to our story. Yes, I get it. We're hearing it over and over again, but <clears throat> excuse me, but what, I am trying to kind of figure out is that how do we stop the echo chamber? Right. Everyone at those events, they know. They know as women, they know as people of color the issues that we're we're talking about. And yes, it's nice to be surrounded by people who understand and who are part of your community, but we're not the ones that need to hear the message. Right. Like where are the uh, like you know I would like to see a, an influx of of men and privileged people come to these events to sit down and to just listen and learn, right? To be aware of what we like you know what we are going through, right? Um, and and a way for us to stop this echo chamber, right? It, it, you bring a really important point. Um, it's it's so true when when we go to tech conferences or when we go to women conferences right women in tech or women of color and and also i want to add another point but i, want, I also want to acknowledge that there is a lack of privileged people in the audience wanting to listen right and on twitter yesterday that I, I engaged in a twitter chat I'm active on Twitter as well. I host hardship chats just to understand where people are coming from. And there was a comment of someone saying unconscious uh, microaggression comes in the form of unconscious bias and we deal with it, we learn from it and we move on from it, move on with it. And I, and I was a little bit agitated hearing that because unconscious bias is deeply rooted and can convert into something else. And to, to relate microaggression in the form of unconscious bias, it's not correct, Yeah. right? Because it's aggression. Even though it comes in the form of micro, it's still aggression. And we can't validate or, or use the excuse of, oh, it's unconscious bias, I didn't know. But to say, oh, let's just learn and move on. Let's learn and move forward together is the narrative that we should be adopting. Exactly, that's a really good point. Exactly. And then with that, with that like I don't want to say it's an excuse because unconscious bias is something that everyone has. Everyone, yes. But the thing is, is that you also, it's really hard to be what you can't see. 
Right. And when I like say, for example, when I look around my department, especially those in leadership positions, I don't see anyone like me. So that is knowing that that is like an extra obstacle that uh, myself I have to like get through. Like, you know, thinking of like, you know, how am I supposed to be a leader in this old boys club? Yeah. Um, like, I hate that the responsible is on me, like on me to change so much or on me to like have these realizations or on me to educate those who, who may have these unconscious bias where it is, especially in today's climate, it's kind of like, okay, you guys can't turn a blind eye to this anymore. You guys know what this is. If you see everyone at the table who looks exactly like you, can you please take a step back and educate yourself on why? Right. Yeah. Right. Now, we have a comment really quickly. I want to touch on the comment. We have been getting lots of comments on LinkedIn. Oh, wow. Hi. Uh, <laughs> so this is from Enrique. Hello, Enrique. Thank you for joining us. He says, I don't think a physical presence is required as much as a voice representation. Some forums are limited to space. But the problem is that there is no true representation at meetings. This is so true. That goes to your point. And I also want to say thank you to Mike for coming on board. And I wish you could have stayed longer as well. But thank, Mike, you, thank you, Mike. And we also have uh, Akila Raitman, who says, uh, loves this conversation. Yes. And more Asian women need to speak up. And thank you for supporting us today. We also have Stephanie. Thank you uh, for being here and supporting us. We also have... People from Twitter, Jason, <laughs> thank you for being here. So, thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for supporting. This is such an imperative conversation to have. And, and you highlighted a, such an important point, Melanie. You said that you had to change yourself, right? You had to change yourself, conform. And I had experienced that too, and I still experience that, right? It, it, it's. I know when I used to work for Amazon Web Services, it was for Fortune 500 company. It it was the narrative of this is not the American way of speaking. This is not the American way of pre presentation. If you are a global company, why should someone conform the way within your team, right? And that's a form of microaggression as well. If you are not willing to embrace diversity, if you are challenged by someone who does not look like you, sound like you, present like you, right, or execute like you, it's time to rethink what is it in me that is being challenged as a leader. I remember when I started working corporate. So this was 15 years ago when I first started my, my first real job. Mm -hmm. Looking back at my career now, I can realize and I can see how over time I slowly changed my my mannerisms and the way I presented myself in order to in order to fit what I saw. And then we talked before about how it's hard to be what I, what you can't see. I didn't have like especially those in like uh, the leadership position. If you don't have that mentor if you don't have that person of authority saying it's okay that you're a woman of color in this industry i'm here to support you and i remember um because there's only so many women are in our department 
that I was so afraid of falling into the role of the office mother mm. that I would adamantly like refuse to take part of any social committees. I wouldn't bake cookies for the bake sale because if I didn't see my manager, my director, or my VP of IT bake cookies, neither was I because that wasn't the, the promotion I was going for. And even the way that I, and granted I was younger back then, but it was only recently when I just decided, you know what, I really want to lean into who I am. But like I changed the way that I dressed. I made sure that like, you know, I was dressing, I was, I'm in tech, so in flannel shirts and collars and things like that. But like, I, I would put the, the dresses on the wayside. I wouldn't wear as much makeup or jewelry mm -hmm. because I didn't want to be seen as too girly and have that kind of your unconscious bias layered on top of what I already was and what I already can't change. Now, I, I relate to that. I relate to that um, when I used to be in written Fortune 500 companies and that war was the experience that I had encountered, right? And I was a global program, technical program manager. And but I will be asked to take notes. I'll be asked to take notes at every meeting. And I and I finally said, no, I'm not gonna take notes. No, I want to contribute. I am a part of this team. I want to sit, I want to contribute, I want my voice heard. I want to take on different uh, tasks, different responsibilities. We have tools to record this meeting and and transcript and, and turn it into transcript. And I said that to this manager and she got really angry. She was a white female in her 50s. I don't know if age counts, but I feel that sometimes the older the older females that I've encountered are the ones who resist even more. And she got really mad at me for saying that. And she said, no, you will take notes. And I said, no, I will not. If I take notes today, and I used my other teammate, she will take notes tomorrow. And Tim will take notes next week just to be fair that everyone is included in this meeting. Mm -hmm. And she got even more mad. And, it, and the retaliation came in the form of projects were being removed from me. And these are the narratives, invisible actions that are taking place with Asian women, with colored women at the workplaces, right? And I, I, fought, I fought really hard. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be trapped into by this. I'm still going to take on projects. I'm still going to do work, right? I'm still going to shine. And then came the whole narrative of you are not performing well. When I asked the why and the response were not eloquent or were not on point, and they created this whole scenario of you didn't complete this one, you couldn't take instructions. And when I questioned, like, you were the one who gave me instructions to do this and to stop. And they created another scenario as to, I'm a foreigner. I can't understand English. I can't understand directions. I want people to understand these are real things that are invisible, that goes on at the workplace. And these are all aggressions. And HR was not there to support me. 
HR said, the problem is with you, not with your managers. Yeah. And that was disheartening for me to hear because... That's a heartbreaking story, yeah. And I told my... I went to another HR, and my HR was like, your, your manager is not your champion. You, you might as well leave the company. So for all these narratives to go on to support the whole narrative of you're not ready yet. Are you sure you want that promotion? I want people to realize these are all correlated in some way, right? And to change and to conform your ways is not leadership, right? I had to change my ways. And then finally, I was like, I'm not changing my ways because that's the whole whole concept of diversity. Diversity is not an isolated department that belongs in the attic or in the basement. No, it's an integral part of your organization. It's an integral part of society. It's an integral part of school systems, integral part of everything that we do. And going back to the the comment that the HR uh, uh, person said about how she isn't your champion, that is really something that I had to come to terms with was that I have to be, uh, or like you are responsible for your being your own champion. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Like, you know, uh, there are very many people there that are, that will help coach and mentor and, and all that stuff, but really taking that responsibility into your own hands, because when it comes to, do you now want that leadership role? It is a, well, in the way that it currently is, I, I'm not really too sure anymore. But I know that for me personally, uh, being a leader in the tech industry and uh, having the platform to to give the microphone to uh, more people so they have a seat at the table, that that's my version of that. Yeah. And that is how I, I feel that need, uh, that own personal need and that own career goal. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It's we have to stand up, and and every every challenge comes solutions. So I want to touch on the solutions part right now. Okay. From a cultural science perspective, everything happens at home, society, workplace, schools, in, even in political systems. So now we have to explore solutions, right? Even at the workplace, I. One of the things that we we have we have to absolutely have to do is build coalitions. When I say coalitions in the form of diversity, where there's equity, form coalitions with people with different people of color, right? With black communities, with Asian communities, with Asian communities, with Latino communities, with with other minority groups. Form those coalitions. How does a coalition look to you, Melanie? Um, it is, I think that the uh, the narrative around it, like, you know, we are all, we all know that uh, we experience less privilege. Mm -hmm. um, so that is kind of like an underlying, like, you know, uh, experience that we have, but we also have different types of experience when, especially when it comes to those microaggressions to the, uh, the unconscious biases, uh, really taking the step of knowing what those are outside of your own community. 
So taking your own responsibility of saying, yes, I am a, an Asian woman, uh, I'm a person of color in the tech industry, but that necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean that I know what my uh, uh, like you know my my black counterparts are also going through. Right. I don't know what they're experiencing because that's not my journey. So let me learn from them. Right. Let me hear them out. And that is something obviously with the climate uh, of of today mm-hmm. that uh, I am trying to. Uh, educate myself and unlearn my own unconscious biases because I'm not going to say that I am I'm free of them. Right. Uh, but also with uh, like you know in in, in Canada, uh, Indigenous people, like you know knowing like there are problems that we always know they are there. Um, we're, we're not like you know we're not blind to that, but knowing that they're they are there isn't enough. Mm. So let's let's learn about it. And then taking that information, uh, like, you know, myself, so learning about that information, taking it myself, and then sharing that knowledge with my platform, right. uh, with my community to mm-hmm. really help educate other people. Because it isn't on them to educate people because, like, we're all exhausted of trying right. to say that message. But, uh, like, you know, so, but being able to be a, a champion for them, being able to, to use my voice and use my platform for them. Even if my platform is small, I'm going to do my best in order right. to amplify their message and in order to kind of help make this table. Right. I love that you said, you know, be a champion for them. And I want to add to your point as to be a sponsor don't be a mentor yeah be a sponsor and that is what makes you become a champion to melanie's point right we need to have more sponsors at the workplace for women of color for people of color right or people of minority groups to say hey i am your sponsor Mm -hmm. what can i do to lift you up Right. Because if we think about a seed, I'm going to use a seed. If we think about a seed, mm-hmm. in order to make the seed grow, you need variables. What are those variables? Those variables are soil, nutrients, sunshine, proper air, proper love. They did a, a experiment with Harvard and with IKEA as well. They had two plants, two different plants. One plant was given all living words, same environment, everything, all the temperature, soil, everything was great with both the plants. But one plant was given positive words, encouragement. The other plant was treated like, like crap, right? And the plant with positive words grew exponentially, thrived. Mm-hmm. The one that were told negative words died. And this is exactly how humans are. When you become a sponsor, you are sunshine to someone. You are the nutrients to someone. You're the positive words, positive action to your coalition, right? Don't just say, I'm your ally. Become the partner, become the sponsor. That's how coalitions happen. But also saying it out loud and letting people know that it is. It's not enough for for you to just be like, you know, like, yeah, I, I support Black Lives Matters. Like, you know, show your seat and prove it. Let people know that you are an ad, like you are an advocate for them. 
reach out to them, make sure that like, you know, uh, make sure that they're being seen and heard and ask if there's anything that you can do to help, uh, help with the solution. Right. Um, one thing that uh, I, I did, uh, especially uh, at the beginning of the week when, when this all started was that like, you know, I'm a part of um, many uh, women driven, uh, like, you know, uh, tech industry type of communities here in Toronto. I reached out to every single one of them and I was like, are you going to, uh, I was like, are you going to make an official statement against racism? Right. Like, and if there's any way that I can help, let me know. Right. Um, and just letting them know because it is, uh, just letting them know that like, you know, this is an important thing for, for you to come forward with because of your platform, because of like, you know, uh, like, you know, you say in, in your vision statement that you are an advocate for diversity and inclusion. I need to see you make an official statement. Right. Especially in this time. Right. Absolutely. Um, and then if there's a way where I can help support that with, with my community to whether it's by sharing, whether it's by promoting, so to help get your message out there so that they know or that people know that, yes, they are, they are true to what they say. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how we need to come together. I want to take a moment to acknowledge Kim Middlebrooks. Okay. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Thank you for showing your support. I also want to acknowledge Gabe. He says, wonderful topic of discussion. Thank you for supporting us, Gabe. Now, coalition is one of the solutions that we can take. Mm -hmm. Another solution that we can take is also coming together to Melanie's point. Like, how many of you have truly acknowledged what is going on right now and, and, and taking the time to rethink if this is happening within my organization in COVID ways, right? And also to question everyone. I'm not saying everyone is guilty, but question if HR partners are truly partners for your people, if your management are truly partners for your people. At the end of the day, your ROI is not on investment. Your ROI, your written, on is based on your individualism, the individualism of people, the impact of your people, the impact of how you put it out there. Impact turns into intention. Those are your ROIs. If you have got any questions, please ask us. We're going to take a few questions. Um, but the next step I want to I acknowledge is is you know apart from building coalitions apart from you know inviting people who do not sound like us think like us into the tables the other aspect of it is diversity mm -hmm. right? like truly rethinking what diversity is so i want to hear your thoughts and the efforts that you have taken melanie i i like staying curious mm -hmm. No, having the knowledge that I don't know everything, I, I don't know all of the experiences and the uh, the uh, diver like you know diversity groups and like you know you were talking earlier about the different types of tribes. Like I was like I don't know about that. I better Google that later. Right. Like you know, being, but being really curious and excited about learning about all of these different types of of uh, experiences 
and having the like you know you're talking about hardship having the hardship to to sit back and just listen to their story mm-hmm. and really and to really kind of give them this really it's giving them the space and letting them know that they have a place to like a place to talk right right so even moving forward like you know i i've made a uh like you know a decision that uh i've been doing a lot of public speaking uh these past couple months but now it is a if i'm invited to an event and if it is not if i'm the token colored person mm-hmm. i'm not speaking at that event like you know so so taking that own personal stance of no i'm not, I'm not going to be your token person you really need to wonder why your whole audience is white and why like just, just things like that little things that i can do myself in order to invite more people to the table um another thing that uh, i did was that like you know knowing that i'm starting to build this platform of, of public speakers like you know uh, speaking at the, these events uh sharing a database of of uh black uh speakers and producers and writers and and entrepreneurs and i was like uh here's a giant list of people in our community uh that would be happy to speak at your event right what's your excuse if you can't say that they are not out there or that we are not out there right so putting that on the pedestal and saying here here is the diversity that you're saying oh well there aren't very many like you know black speakers and i was like there are you're just not looking hard enough right. here's a database of a hundred right right absolutely and you touched on a very important point about tokenism right mm-hmm. we need to truly question ourselves like are we hiring to or are we hiring or are we inviting a poc or a minority to be in this space to check uh, our tick boxes so that we will not get sued so it will not be a lawsuit, right? We need to really rethink of not having people for tokenism, for the sake of tokenism, but having people for the sake of change. To to be met. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. we 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 have to focus on the now. Everyone is talking about the future, about the future, but we have to focus on the now um and the language the one last thing i want to add is the language we need to consciously change the language used to its poc or minorities at work because covid ways of discrimination racism oppression lies in the language that we use on them you're not good enough you're not ready yet you don't have the speaking skills you're not innovative when you're not giving them a chance to present or to to showcase their skills, yeah. then there's no basis to use this language. We need to rethink how we even use languages in the space of workplace. And that can displace and disable someone. Mm-hmm. And we need to use language, you, like execute on actions that places people and enables people as opposed to misplacing, displacing and dis- and just dis- disenabling people. Mm-hmm. We need to rethink that. We 
are almost out of time, but I want to <laughs> bring up this uh, this one last piece to you. Melanie, you have been such a great guest, a great speaker, a great advocate of diversity and really advocating for culture as well. And that's why I wanted to have you on Rethink Culture and bring those perspectives of what Asian women are experiencing. Viewers out there, listeners out there, please do not forget to to register and watch Melanie Guzman. She will be speaking at uh, Women Tech Global Conference 2020 on June 10th at 12.40pm Eastern Time. She will be speaking on breaking through your limiting beliefs. Please do support her. You can find her on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and where else are you? Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram. Uh, I, I have my own website. You can find me at Melanie de Guzman pretty much anywhere. Uh, if you just tag that onto that URL, I'll be there. Oh, and, uh, yeah, if there has been, if, you, if there's any questions, I'm happy to connect with as many as you as possible. Uh, Mila will, will attend. I love having conversations, especially about these topics. Yeah. Uh, so please reach out. No, absolutely. It's, it's been a pleasure having you. And remember, folks, this is Rethink Culture. Mm -hmm. It's culture science explore at a deep level. Culture is happens. It happens everywhere at home, in our neighborhoods, society, workplace, schools, and a larger system in a nation. So it's imperative for leaders of businesses to talk about this, and especially on LinkedIn, right? Because a person of color, a person who's a minority, shows up as they are everywhere they go. Culture happens at home, as I said, in schools, everywhere. Culture is created recreate it, transfer, mirror when the status quo is left unquestioned or unchallenged. I am Mila Duchamp on your Wednesday 12pm Eastern Time Rethink Culture. Don't forget to subscribe, follow um, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. My name is all the same, Mila Duchamp. Thank you for being here. If you've got questions, you know, feel free to DM me, reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. I love doing what I do. Uh, that's the whole reason why I got into the culture science business and have a culture science company to bring great people like Melanie onto these platforms and explore at a deep dive level because culture is not just about ping pong tables and free lunches at the workplace. Culture is deep and the roots run everywhere. Thank you for tuning and we will see you next week. Thank you, everyone.